it is leader go first. So if you want people to grow, you have to be willing to grow yourself. If you want people to be vulnerable, then you have to be vulnerable and not in a fake way, but in an authentic way. If you want people to be fearless, you have to be a little fearless. If you want people to take risks, you have to be willing to. One of the hardest and most challenging lessons I learned as a leader was the importance of creating clarity. And there is no one that taught me more about creating clarity than Karen Kelly. Without personal clarity, it's hard to know what we're driving towards. And without organizational clarity, it is impossible to effectively lead a team. But what does clarity really mean? And how can you even find it? Clarity is one of those terms that's thrown around in personal development, in leadership development, in career coaching. And honestly, I had no clue what it meant until I met Karen. It goes without saying that she is an incredible force in my life. And ironically, someone who pushed me harder and challenged me more than really anyone ever had. The first time I met Karen, I was petrified and it was because I was so scared that I knew that I had to learn from her. I feel so grateful and humbled to have had the ability to work for her for so many years. And I am so excited to have her on the podcast today talking about her journey from Taco Bell to Boston Market, from Panera to Sweetgreen to Dry Bar and more. She is an unbelievable operational leader who knows what it takes to build world-class teams and unleash the power of those around her. So today, more than anything, we're going to unpack clarity, talk about her non-negotiables, and understand how both of these have been a muscle for her in her career and in her life. It's hard to wrap your head around the breadth of your career and experience, but Karen, maybe just give us a quick snapshot into where the Karen Kelly journey first began. Where it began was at Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) And it may make everybody laugh that listens to this podcast to know that I started there when it was a actual real scratch cooking kitchen. But it was a job to put myself through school, but wasn't intended to be my career or my future. But I was fortunate enough that I had mentors along the way that identified, albeit as raw as raw could be, I may potentially have some raw talent and pushed me and challenged me and developed me. And from there, I went to Boston Market in the early days when it was growing. And that was after 12 years in one place. That was a big step to leave and go somewhere else. Yeah. But that's probably where I got the growth, kind of taking something small and building great cultures and teams, brands, and operational execution. I learned a lot about all four of those things, what it means to build a great culture and a great team, what it means to build a really great brand. And in all that, the value of brilliant execution and was challenged in a lot of ways about how to connect the dots on those things. From there, I went to a company that was very small again called Jamba Juice, primarily because I love the brand and the concept and what it stood for. So I feel like I've kind of followed my instincts around brands that resonate with consumers that have a person that are filling a hole in the market and then have this this it factor and this culture about it that there's something that they're doing that is good for the people. 
I actually took a big step back to go there and it became one of the best experiences of my career because it was where I got my first experience at the executive level. I was fortunate enough to have a CEO that believed in me and stretched me probably beyond what I knew how to do in the moment, but kind of saw my tenacity, resiliency, and challenged me to grow. From there, I went to Pinkberry and had the opportunity to not only grow domestic, but grow a brand internationally and work with some, again, really bright people in the industry, everyone from people on the board like Howard Schultz and Dan Levitan to a brilliant executive team as, as a result of their investment. And then I had the opportunity to actually step outside of the restaurant space and challenge myself to learn a different industry, a different model. And so I took on the role of president and COO of Dry Bar and worked with some brilliant founders there. And then I was encouraged to get back into the restaurant industry. I took on the role as president and COO of Sweetgreen. You're quite familiar with our work around scaling and growing that brand nationally with the amazing team and founders. And then from there, I got back into the big company groove with Panera Bread and got to do some great work there. I was their chief restaurant operations officer. And now I'm working for a cool brand in the South that most people don't know about. They will soon. (laughs) This amazing brand called Jack's Family Restaurants and scaling this. It's a medium-sized company, so not small, not big, and working with a great group of, of people and getting continuing to grow and scale this brand. So I'm lucky. As I'm listening to you talk and recount this journey you've been on, the first thing that dawned on me was like, these are household names. It's actually crazy to think about the amount of these household names and household brands that the American population experiences on a daily basis that you've actually built and impacted. You talked about this point where you realized that it wasn't just a job, but that you had maybe this higher purpose of impacting others and people. What was that moment of clarity like? And what does that mean to you, impacting others? I think for me, impacting others is about the lasting effect that your work has on the people you do it with or the people you serve, which can be internally or externally. But there's this lasting effect you you can have, which is by nature of the brand and what it is and what it stands for, much like Sweetgrain and the culture that's involved, but also as a leader, how you impact people, how you make a difference for people. I love working on great brands. I'm as competitive as the next person, male, woman, whatever. But what gets me up every day is uh, none of it gets done without brilliant talent and great people. I learned a lot about clarity and what it takes to lead by not being good at it, right? And it was in my early days of leadership. I was working as a multi-unit. It was everything I wanted to do with my job and my career since I uh, decided I wanted to be in hospitality. And I had to learn that I wasn't as impactful or as good at it as I thought I was. And that set me on a very thought, you know, quiet time, thinking, self-reflection moment 
do I want to do this? Can I be good at the job? If I'm not going to be good at the job, I do not want to do this job. But I also have to define what this job and this work is for me and how I want to show up and what it means for me. I swear I had this moment driving home where I'm like, what am I going to do? I have no idea what I'm going to do for the rest of my life because now what I thought I wanted to do, I'm not going to be able to do. And I literally did not sleep that entire night. I think I wrote eight pages of notes. Why do I like what I'm doing? Why do I hate what I'm doing? What is impactful? What is not impactful? Why is this so painful? All those things. It was almost like a spiritual uplifting moment. And in that, I really had to get clear with myself what I wanted to do, especially having at the time two children and and make some decisions for myself. But also I had to get really clear about myself and the job and how I wanted to do it and what it meant for me. And that was unbelievably sometime in my 20s clarifying, which kind of started my self-growth and my leadership growth journey, forced me to painfully look at who I was and why I thought certain things and how I behaved and how I showed up and then what I needed to do as a leader. So I think that was one of the most clarifying moments for me. And then, you know, of course, I was young and that journey still continues today, but probably the most impactful in my early to mid 20s when I was going through a whole lot of self-assessment and then painful, you know, you ask people for feedback and then people are honest and you don't know that you want to hear it. But I also kind of became a student of leadership, not just leadership on a professional basis, but leadership of myself. And learned that that was what it was going to take to be really good at this job, which which mattered to me. You worked with a CEO who believed in you and stretched you, as have I. <laughs> what leadership skills did that CEO have and how did she or he allow you to have the space to start that journey for yourself? I think what Paul was really good at was pushing me to grow, being tough on me when he needed to be but making me feel comfortable in that he fundamentally believed in me and what I was capable of doing. It was almost that yin and yang of, I knew that Paul believed in what I was capable of, that I was going to be successful. He saw in me, even at times maybe when I didn't know if I had it in me, right? Because when you're learning, you're fighting through certain things and learning certain things the hard way, but at the same time, he didn't make it easy. So he wasn't afraid to push me. I also think he had this unique skill of knowing when I was ready to take a little bit more, but I was on that cusp of ready, not ready. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Maybe a little unclear. Unclear, maybe a little fearful, but- Hesitant. Exactly, hesitant. He knew I was ready. But probably I would call it rough and ready, not really, you know, polished up and ready to go. And he knew I was going to stub my toe, maybe even split my lip open a few times, but that didn't seem to matter. And so I think for me, those were two of the biggest strengths that drove me. As we talk about leadership and the qualities of a great leader, they sound more emotional than tactical. 
What do you think is the role a leader plays in helping others around them create clarity, be fearless, push forward, grow? I think for me, my memories of working with you were always the moments where you were pushing me outside of myself and yet somehow also looking inward. It was challenging me to show up emotionally really in a different way. I can't really remember a time where it was about the technicalities of marketing. It might have been that I wasn't clear on a strategy or that I didn't push it enough or that I didn't take everything in the business into consideration enough, but it was always more about how I was showing up as a leader. So what do you think is the role of a leader today in really helping others around them grow and create clarity? I think the role of a leader is a little bit of exactly what you just articulated. I think first and foremost, it's about seeing what others are capable of doing and really seeing and understanding their potential. Because as I said in the beginning of the conversation, why I love what I do is I think it's a leader's job to unleash everybody's potential, regardless of what that potential is, right? Different people have different desires, passions, desire for growth. So I'm not just talking about climbing the corporate ladder, just their potential about what they're capable of doing, delivering. I also think a leader's job is to see that and build trust and and authenticity with the people they lead so that that in order to help people grow, it's not going to be easy. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes leaders spend more time on the challenge side and not the, let me build an authentic, trusting rapport with you. So this can get hard and you know that the person challenging you believes in you. You taught me something that just came to my mind, which was to understand what motivates your team. And to understand every person on your team has personal goals, ambitions, desires, needs, and that as a leader, part of your job is to understand that and to help them grow in the unique and personal ways that they need to. I think for me, being a founder of a business, a new business, the most valuable thing that I've taken from my time working with you is that showing up as a leader is hard. Because by nature of what we all do, and you grew up on the operational side of a business, I grew up in the marketing side of the business, and yet here we are, both of us talking about really the same thing, which is being a leader is tough because it is hard work, because you have to create trust in order to dive deep and push each other, not just pushing your team, but your team pushing you as well. And there's a vulnerability in that, right? Like how important is it to be vulnerable? And was that hard for you? So there's a lot of questions wrapped up into that. I think if you step back, being a leader is hard in general because it always starts. If you remember, I had a saying that I learned the hard way probably, but it is leader go first. So if you want people to grow, you have to be willing to grow yourself. If you want people to be vulnerable, then you have to be vulnerable and not in a fake way, but in an authentic way. If you want people to be fearless, you have to be a little fearless. If you want people to take risks, you have to be willing to. So first and foremost, I believe leadership is hard because every day it's a journey. You have to get up and work on your own self-development and you have to acknowledge that, you know, everything you do sets 
the pace and the tone for your teams and how you want them to behave. You can't ask people to take risks when the leader is inherently risk adverse, right? It's uncomfortable. And ultimately, it won't work out well. So that's number one. Number two, you talked about what you have to do to create clarity for people and get their best work. If we go back to what I said before, which is if you believe a leader's job is to unleash others' potential, you talked about the marketing and it wasn't technical about marketing all the time because because why would I want to do your job for you? I hired you to be the brilliant brand marketer. My job is to understand brand marketing well enough and have a competency in it that I can engage and challenge and ask questions and make the work good. But most importantly, before that, the hierarchy of that is getting the most out of your potential, getting you to reach deep and challenge yourself, your thinking, your team to grow. Well, I think part of the openness and willingness to show up every day, to be fearless, to go leader first, is to be vulnerable. That's something that I think I learned the hard way. And I was curious in your path towards leadership and uncovering clarity, if being vulnerable in a male-dominated industry specifically was challenging. Number one, yes. Uh, But, you know, the thing is, is that vulnerability was part of my leadership journey. I remember I was at Jamba and much like many of us have, we all got the Brene Brown TED Talk that went viral and our CMO at the time sent it to me and he said, I think you'll love this. So I watched it the first time and I was like, oh yeah, I feel like I've always kind of been a real person who I am, what you see is what you get. So the first time I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm vulnerable. (laughs) And I remember, I don't know if I was on a plane, a train, a car, I don't know, Farron. And I had quiet time, which tends to be my clarity time and my clarity discipline. And I remember thinking about a lot of things she said and going, are you really Karen? You know, and then you kind of ignore yourself a few minutes, like you're not really telling yourself the truth. Like, And when I got really down to it and listened to the essence of the message, there was a lot more to be done there. And to your great point, it's scary because not everybody's comfortable with vulnerability. I do think inherently, and this is not to take anything away from all the great men I've worked with, but a lot more of the women I have experienced tend to be more vulnerable. But I will tell you, how vulnerability resonated with me was from the same CEO because Paul was vulnerable. I'll never forget. We had a failure of some, it must've been some sales building or marketing campaign or something. And we used to have these town halls and he'd get up and talk to everybody. I'll never forget about the same time I viewed that podcast. He got up in front of the company and said, I failed. And everybody's eyes just bugged out. And I remember I thought, wow. Would you do that? Would you? At the time, I wouldn't have. Probably not. So I had to answer myself honestly, like, wow, that is what that means. Like, I consider myself a pretty authentic, real person, a truth teller, those pieces. But to get up in front of, absolutely, now I do, I will, I have for the last 15 years, you know, but I learned that watching him do it. And, and I thought, 
that's what real leadership is. It's getting comfortable with your failures and being able to recognize the lesson in them in order to move forward. That's exactly right. And if you really believe, I remember thinking, Karen, if you really believe the job of a leader is to unleash the potential in others, you're never going to unleash anybody's potential unless they can get comfortable with their failures. And nobody's going to do it unless you do in a real way. Because I also think some people, you know, vulnerability has become a bit of a buzzword at times and not everybody's vulnerable in an authentic way. I think it has to come with authenticity and people got to feel like you mean it when you say it. It can't be uh, a to-do. It's got to be who you are. And it takes It takes work to get there, I think. It takes courage, I think, to be able to stand up and say, hey, I failed or I don't understand this. Can someone explain this to me? You know, I think about my time at Sweetgreen as business school. I think more than anything, I really learned a ton about operations, first and foremost, from like the guru, Karen Kelly. I learned about people. I really learned, and to what you talked about earlier, how incredibly important it is to really recognize the impact you're making on people. And arguably, my job at Sweetgreen was as much about the people internally as it was our customers externally. Both, right? Both. Incredibly important. But I also really, really learned what it meant to create clarity there. And I think it was because the job was a tall order. It was hard. I remember going into your office many times and I'd present a strategy to you or I would present an idea to you and you would say, you're not clear. And it was incredibly frustrating. I remember times leaving your office in tears being like, what on earth is this woman talking about? I spent three weeks working on this. I've put all of my heart and soul into it. What is she talking about that I'm not clear? Karen, you always used to have thousands of pages of notes all over your office, right? And you would constantly be writing. And I remember... The first time that I took the challenge, I wasn't apprehensive to it, but instead I took it as a challenge and I said, all right, Farron, go get clear. I actually think I know what it was. I think it was the second year that I was at Sweetgreen budget development for the following year. And I took the challenge to get really granular and tactical here. What did I do? Well, first I locked myself in a room for about a day and I really asked myself all the questions that I could. I asked myself What are the inputs that I need to know? What are the things I need to consider? What is the way to push this from where I was last year? I wrote a thousand pages of notes and ideas on paper without judgment that I wasn't good enough or that I didn't know enough. And then I went and asked questions. I went to other leaders within the organization and I asked for help. I remember that because people came and told me you asked questions. Yeah, I went Mm -hmm. and asked questions. And I was so excited. Yeah, I was vulnerable that I didn't know. And I actually think it ties back to a really good point you made before, which is, Part of being a leader is not knowing how to do everything. It's becoming dangerous enough that you can have a perspective. It's asking experts around you to help you do the work that needs to get done and then leading it with clarity. And I think that that day was one of the most valuable lessons for me in what it meant to create clarity. And what happened for that budget meeting? It went well, I kind of crushed it. You kind of did. I did. And I think you gave me a little wink that day. And I think it was that first moment where I was like, okay, now I understand. I want to just dive into like, what does clarity actually mean? For me, what it meant was I wasn't clear enough. I was maybe 50%, 60% of the way there in what it was going to take. And for this specific example, what it was going to take to drive the business for the following year. But what does creating clarity mean? 
what it means to me, and it may not mean the same thing to other people, is a number of things. I think sometimes because we all have experiences or we've had positive experiences in our prior jobs or lives that we sometimes shoot from the hip without doing the thinking that needs to be done. So to me, clarity starts with doing a lot of the thinking and what you illuminated the questioning. It's not just you doing the thinking, it's getting enough information, both analytically and intuitively from everything around you to really think about the solution that is right for the situation. And I really believe that that is one of the most important jobs of a leader, right? It's like, Sometimes when you you do the work, you go into a new brand, right? You decide, okay, here's what my experience tells me to do. I think, you know, just your experience isn't going to get it done. You need to deeply immerse yourself in that brand, that business, the business model you're working on and begin to connect the dots. And the only way to do that is to use your analytical brain, use your intuitive brain and use your curiosity to begin to connect the dots and really figure out what makes sense. And then to me, clarity is once you understand what you're trying to do and how and why you're trying to do it, then it's being unapologetic about your vision, your purpose, what you're trying to get done and leading it with passion. When you're, and part of not being clear is as a leader, if you're not really clear, then the people around you They'll understand the concepts, but it'll be very difficult for them to focus on what matters most. And so I guess for me, that's that's what clarity is. You know, some people call it connecting the dots, but I just think it's taking the time and and really doing the thinking work that is required as you if you're an entrepreneur, a business leader, whatever you are, and really understanding problem you're trying to solve or where you're trying to go or personally what what you're trying to do what are you trying to accomplish for yourself and your life and when you're clear it's liberating because then you can show up in front of people and say here's where we're going here's how we're going to get there here's why it matters so much and i've done the work to really think about it so it makes sense that then leads to strategy right that leads to your roadmap it's going to be messy. It's not that clarity creates a perfect line. It's that clarity gives you the destination that you're driving towards. I think that's a really powerful tool, not only in directing where you're going, but directing where you're not going, which I think is a fundamental requirement for any successful business or life, right? I was having a conversation yesterday with another teacher of mine, and we were talking about how if you're trying to live in every world, not only are you comparing yourself to every business and everything and everyone, but you're also potentially jealous or envious. Like think about the heaviness and the weight of that. The most powerful brands and individuals are the ones that pick that lane. So in the brand building process or in the business building process, where and who does clarity need to live with? Who's in charge of it? Well, two things about clarity. One is also remember to your great point, clarity is not an unmessy and things don't change and get in your way and throw up roadblocks. But clarity allows you to be way less reactionary, knee-jerk the organization, 
allow you to make better decisions because when you're clear, okay, well, that didn't go as planned, right? But here's how we're going to adjust. That's not the lane. Here's how we're going to adjust. Here's what matters. Inevitably, something's going to go wrong. That's not the point. The point is clarity allows you not to react, be all over the place, create chaos. Clarity even allows you to change your lane if you need to because you're clear about why you started in one place and why you want to move to another. Whose responsibility is clarity? It starts, well, it starts with the senior most leader. To me, it's the founder, CEO, founder slash CEO combo. But that starts at the top, but then it has to cascade down. I think clarity is required for really great brands and really strong leadership. But it starts at the top, right? Like, What's the vision and the mission and what does the company stand for? What are your, what are your values? Who are you? How clear are you about that? And then what's your strategy? Like, how are you going to execute that vision? How are you going to get there? And then that starts with the CEO as well as the core leaders. But then it's also the job of every leader within the org to help people get clear about what matters their role in accomplishing the vision and mission, getting people inspired and passionate about that, and making sure you have the right people sitting in the right seats of the bus, right? To accomplish that, that mission and that strategy. So it starts at the top, but I think it becomes a responsibility of most leaders in the org over time. What role does instinct play? In your personal life, right, you might be thinking about all the things you want to accomplish or the people around you or your goals and your ambitions. In your professional life, you might be looking at data and insights to help guide these decisions to create clarity of where you should go. So what role does instinct play? What role does talent play? Huge. (laughs) You know this. And most people that have worked for me know it. Most people are not inherently balanced. People either skew more data-driven or intuitive driven. And where they sit on the scale is, you know, some people sit way over here, some people sit closer to the middle ground. I sit on the intuitive scale. It's who I am. It's every executive test I've ever taken. So I've had to train myself to become more balanced. But I think intuition and your instinct and your experiences plays a huge role. The gap is if you're more intuitive being overly reactive or gut without leveraging the data, the information, the people on your team that are more analytical that help you minimize the pitfalls and help you really think things through. The more analytical people can run the risk if they don't train themselves to be more balanced. They run the risk of being missing opportunity, not, you know, some of the greatest entrepreneurs or founders, there's no logic for great brands. Great brands are emotional and driven by brilliant founders who have an innate belief in what they're doing. There's no data to back that up. It's a, it's a belief. It's a vision. It's, there is some data that would lead to the fact that, that this is what consumers want or there is a hole in the marketplace for for that brand, but mostly great entrepreneurs just see what others don't see or see something that is not obvious in front of them. That's not facts, data, and spreadsheet. 
I maybe have the vulnerability and the courage to just go for it, which inherently there's clarity there too. That founder that has a crazy idea. I think Sarah Blakely from Spanx is a great example. You know, she has this famous story where she had no more tools available to her than anyone else. Not deeply educated, didn't have funding, and yet she had an idea. She was crystal clear on what she wanted to create, and she did it with courage and a fearlessness until she got to the point where, of course, there's people around you. Now there's data. Now there's insights. But I think this idea that you need to have a PhD and investors and funding and a massive team to accomplish your vision is wrong. Yeah. It's like I said, there's power in in learning to balance yourself out or surrounding yourself with people, but intuition, instinct matters a ton. And when you listen to Sarah Blakely, she is unapologetic for her path. She's had a deep-seated belief that she had a solution that women needed. For someone out there listening who maybe isn't clear about something, myself included, <laughs> at this current moment well, in their time. <laughs> I believe in clarity doesn't mean I'm always clear, Farron. You know, that's just, you know, some days I have clarity issues myself and I want to go soak my head in the bathtub. Yeah, or I think actually know? that's a good point, which is like it comes and it goes. You might be really clear at a current moment in time, at a current fork in the road. And then three months later, there's a new obstacle, a new question or a new challenge in front of you. And I think what you've really talked about today is creating clarity is like a muscle that is constantly needs to be worked. But once you have it and you leverage it, it's a strength. Exactly. It's a muscle and it's a discipline. To your great point, clarity is not something you have and then you forever have it. Even people who are crystal clear make decisions and you're like, uh, why the devil did I do that? <laughs> Probably <laughs> wasn't the best decision for Lots me or I made it without. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or to your point, meet a roadblock where you're not clear. It's a muscle, but it's also a discipline to say, man, to recognize that you're not. Cl- and by the way, clarity isn't just a poof thing either. Sometimes it takes work. I've do, done many a drives in cars where it's very quiet in the car where I'm like, how am I going to lead through this? Sometimes the answer comes and sometimes it doesn't come right away. So I have to go ask more questions or get more painful feedback because sometimes, you know, you need people to, around you to tell you the truth so you can get clearer. And so to your great point, it's a muscle and it's a discipline. The first step is wanting to show up and recognizing that you have a job or a role to show up. And I think a leader can be defined, you know, we talked about it in the context of an organization, right? The founder or the leader of a company, but a leader is anyone and anywhere. I think of myself as a leader in a men- on many different planes from my family to my friends, to my team, to the customers I serve, to myself, right? Leadership, I think is really about stepping into the responsibility of that and first and foremost consciously saying, all right, I want this job. And I think then the power or maybe one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader to accomplish what you want is be clear. Be clear with your team. Exactly. Stepping in for the right reasons. That's what I also believe. I'm a deep believer in know what your intent is, 
and remember who you serve because leadership is self-sacrificing. And then second, yes, it's exactly what you said. Clarity is something you owe your people because if people can thrive, the great, the more clear they are, even personally, the more clear you are when you talk about boundaries or things like non-negotiables, the clearer people around you are. I feel like the non-negotiables will have to be part two of this podcast. We can talk more about that <laughs> another time. Karen, this was such an amazing reminder of what it means to be a leader and how to create clarity and really this idea that it's not that hard. It's hard to get clear, but actually the act of sitting down is just a conscious effort and maybe a pen and a paper or a quiet car ride or a moment alone with your thoughts to navigate the questions that we ask ourselves on a daily basis. So thank you so much for your time. I have three quick fire drill questions to throw at you. The first is, what is your brand, Karen Kelly? I think my brand is, is that I'm really passionate about people and making an impact. It's what I love to do. I love to work for brands that I'm proud of. I've been very fortunate to work with some brilliant founders and, but ultimately for me, my brand is all about making an impact on others and unleashing people's potential. And nothing gives me greater satisfaction than watching people grow or watching people like yourself become successful. And my only hope in life is most of the people that I get to work with um, become better than you were at the time in your career. That will have a lasting impact on companies, businesses, the world, quite frankly. I had a moment of being moved and thinking what a high purpose that is. What a strong mission that is to live with every day. Okay, back to the fun stuff before I get teary-eyed. What are your three values? I would have to say I probably have one more than three. You know me, Farron, I like to challenge the status quo. Authenticity is one of my most important values. Be who you are. It's really hard to be somebody or not. Two, I believe in truth. Truth to me is a really powerful word. It evokes integrity and all the things that come with it. But to me, people that tell the truth and tell the truth for the right reasons are people that I respect most in the world. Family, nothing more important than my daughters, my grandbabies, my husband, family first. And the fourth one I would have, and we use this word probably a lot, is I just believe I value growth and all that it comes with it, the learning process, the self-awareness, the curiosity. But I remember the same boss that we talked about earlier said to me, sounds so silly, but he's like, Karen, you're either growing or you're dying. And the first time he said that to me, I was like, okay, no kidding. Like a plant grows or it dies. But when you really think about growth as a human, as an individual, as a parent, as a boss, as a leader, I mean, growth is a really powerful value. So wherever you are in life, whatever you're doing, whatever your choice of career, just the, the opportunity that growing as a person and all the other things that that evokes, like learning and curiosity. So for me, it's those four things, authenticity, truth, family, and growth. And if you were a slogan, what would you be? Give me the Karen Kelly slogan. 
be unapologetically yourself because you can't really be someone you're not. And it's something I've had to learn over the years. What's so powerful about all of this is that this is not what a business school teaches you. This isn't what a book on business teaches you. And I think some of the most valuable lessons that I've taken from this conversation, and I think in general, as I've become more vulnerable, more open, more authentically myself and real, is that those are equally as important tools towards building a business and really building your life. Thank you for your brilliant wisdom and time. I feel like we need a part two of this, <laughs> of this combo. Let's do it. I'm all in for part two. All right, good. Well, thank you so much, Karen. You're the best. 